Jesus does everything that he does in the power of the same spirit that's in us. So here's John. He baptizes Jesus. He's baptized by John in the Jordan. And this represents the absolute zenith of the life of John. John, we will encounter him a couple times after this in the other Gospels. He will have this interaction in John chapter 1. We will read of his arrest. We'll read of his uh, uh, speaking against the sin of Herod and then, of course, his execution. And then he'll have that question that he sends to Jesus. Are you really the one? But for all intents and purposes, this is the absolute apex of the life and the ministry of John. John, who came onto the scene like this shooting star, has extinguished almost as fast as he came onto the scene. This is, a, is, this is just amazing. He just comes onto the scene almost out of nowhere, and then almost that quickly, he's done, and he's off, and he's out of, the, out of the picture. So he's baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So here's the second great truth. The first great truth is his baptism, is his identifying, is his being uh, baptized into his role of being made the sin of his people. Secondly, we see the anointing of Jesus. So he comes up out of the water. And we can so clearly, clearly picture this, right? As John raises him up, raised back up into the air, and the water's just pouring off of him, his hair's wet, perhaps his hair's long and down into his face, his, his beard is dripping wet, and his clothes are soaking wet. He comes back up into the heat of the day, back up into the bright sun. And as he comes back up, we're told immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. So immediately there, I don't know how immediate immediate is. Perhaps it's right there. Is he still there with John? Maybe John still got a hold of him. Or maybe it's just a few moments later as he and John exchange a couple of words, perhaps they embrace, and then he turns and some other disciples are helping him to reach the shore. And just as he's getting close to the shore, maybe it happens right there. Or maybe he's already started to take a step out onto the bank. We don't know. But sometime really close behind that, this is what happens. He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So there's three third-person pronouns right there. Let's get our pronouns straight. Who is the he? Well, the first he and the last him are clearly Jesus. So that means the second he has to be Jesus as well. So all three of those third-person pronouns are referring to Jesus, not John the baptizer. Why do I point that out? Because the he's are telling us who did the seeing. He saw. So Mark here is narrating the story to us from the perspective of Jesus. The other gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, will narrate the same story to us from the perspective of the crowd, the audience, the people who are there on the banks watching this. But Mark is the only one who narrates it from the perspective of Jesus himself. Jesus saw and what did Jesus see? He saw the heavens being torn open. If you're in the King James, it just says being opened there. That's not an adequate translation. The old uh, 1901 authorized has 
rent apart or rent open. That's a good translation because this is a violent word. Mark, and, I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke will both use sort of the standard word for open, the same word that describes Jesus's opening of eyes or opening of ears. But Mark uses a different word. He uses the word schizo. That's, that word literally means to divide, to tear open, to rent apart. It's the word we get our, our word schism from or schizophrenia. Schizo. And so what Jesus sees is this tearing open of the heavens. Matthew and Mark both describe it just as an opening of the heavens. But what Jesus sees from his perspective, he sees a violent tearing of the heavens. So Jesus, somehow from his perspective, he sees that what has to happen for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to come down and for the voice to be heard, what has to happen is something violent. It gives us this this picture here of some type of a barrier or a membrane or something like that between the supernatural and the natural world, which fits the context of all of Scripture. Whenever we find in Scripture that there is this movement from the supernatural to the natural, we oftentimes find something very violent, a word that describes some sort of violent action. Think of uh, uh, Zephaniah 14 when it describes Jesus' return and how He will split the Mount of Olives. Or think about... Uh, Moses splitting the rock or think about Exodus 19 and and God's appearance there before the giving of the law and the the trembling mountain, the trumpets, the smoke, the fire, the shaking, the earthquakes. It's just this picture of, of violence. And so Jesus sees this tearing, this tearing between the supernatural and the natural to give access, to allow this access for that which is on the supernatural side, the the spirit to come and to enter into that which is on the natural side. So this, this tearing open of heaven to allow the dove, as, it's, as it is, to enter in. This is one of two times. John will use this word schizo two times. He'll use it here. He'll use it again in chapter 15 to describe, guess what? It's in your notes there so you don't have to guess. The tearing of the curtain. Isn't that a beautiful sort of a bookended picture that Mark gives there? The tearing of heaven so that the dove can come And as we'll talk about what the dove is there to do and the tearing of the curtain at the end to provide access. Really, both of these tearings are doing the same thing. Both of these tearings are granting access to God. They are renting apart the separation barrier between the supernatural and the natural. And so this tearing open of heaven that Jesus sees from his perspective, he sees the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So like a dove, we might be tempted there to think that that's some sort of spiritual metaphoric language that the Spirit comes upon Jesus and Mark just uses this metaphor of a dove to describe it. We might think that if it weren't for Luke's gospel, which tells us that the Spirit descended in the form of a dove, using very specific language and very specific wording to tell us that the Spirit took on a physical a form that was literally just like a dove. It looked in all appearances. It sounded like a dove. So the Spirit comes down, and then John is going to also see this. We know from John's interaction from John chapter 1, when he sees the Spirit come and rest upon him, that's what tells John who Jesus is. You know, have you ever thought about Jesus and John? You know, they had that that thing in the womb when they were both in their mother's womb, and, and John 
did a somersault in his... We've got that. And now we have this. Have you ever thought about Jesus and John in the time in between? Do you know that this is the only instance in Scripture in which we're told that Jesus and John ever spoke? Now, they, they were in each other's company when they were in the womb, but we're not told of another instance in Scripture in which they spoke to one another. So they were related. They were cousins. We know that. But we're given the picture in Scripture that they didn't, they, they weren't childhood playmates. They didn't grow up knowing one another. In fact, John is going to say in John's gospel, I didn't know him. He came and, and I didn't know him. Look at what John says in John, John chapter 1. This is back on the first page. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. So that's why, that's why I'm baptizing. That's the purpose that God raised me up to baptize so that he would be revealed. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And he says it again. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he sees the, the dove come and, and land. On. So Jesus is coming into the water here. And there, there must have been some kind of recognition. Maybe, maybe the fellow that did the announcing, Jesus of Nazareth. And perhaps John says, Jesus of Nazareth. I've got a cousin named Jesus who lives in that. Is that cousin Jesus? And Jesus sort of makes his way out there. And, and maybe there's this little sort of reunion right there in the Jordan. Jesus, it's been years. I haven't seen you since, well, since I was in the womb. And then they have this a few moments there. And so there's some kind of a recognition. But then in addition to that, there's some sort of a recognition that this man, Jesus, is not normal. Because then John has the objection to baptizing him. But... John doesn't really know. He doesn't really know until after when the dove comes down. When he sees the dove, that's when John knows this is the one I've been talking about. This is the one I've been preaching about. I knew he was coming. I didn't know who he was. He's my cousin. And then maybe it comes back to him what Elizabeth told him about what happened as he was in the womb and, and Elizabeth was talking to Mary and John did this thing in the womb. And then the angel Gabriel and the angel Gabriel's words about how he would be the one who would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way. And then all this begins to make sense for John as he sees the spirit come in this form of a dove. Now, why does the spirit come in the form of a dove? Why does he choose a dove? And ultimately, we don't know. Because we're not told. But we do know that, first of all, the dove is an image that the Scripture uses for, for peace, for kindness, for gentleness. But it's also a, a, a connection that we have here. Of course, we remember the end of the flood. At the end of the flood, there's the dove with the olive branch. And, and what that signifies, what, what all that means is the end of God's judgment. The flood was God's judgment the judgment came to an end and the end was signified by the dove. And so this dove has this, this significance behind it of the, of the coming of peace, the ending of God's judgment, God's turning away his face of wrath and turning his face of, of favor once again to the people. So that's what the dove kind of signifies. It also signifies just 
peace and kindness. And so this ending of the judgment of God, of course, corresponds with now here Messiah has come and he's coming here in peace. He's coming in kindness. He's coming in gentleness. He's coming in humility. All those things the dove would represent. We know he's coming again. And as he comes again, he doesn't come in kindness and gentleness and humility again. But this time he comes in gentleness and peace like a dove. And so this dove comes and rests upon him. And as it does so, what verse 10 means for us here is this is the anointing of Jesus for his ministry. The anointing of Jesus for his ministry. We see throughout the scriptures that whenever God raises up perhaps a king or a prophet, or a minister to do his work, there's this anointing thing. And the anointing is the giving of the Spirit and the endowing of the power upon the individual for the individual to do the work which they have been called to do. Let's think, uh, for example, 1 Samuel 16 and verse 13. This is the anointing of David the king. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So that is the prototypical anointing of the Spirit. The Spirit comes, and the individual to whom the Spirit comes is given the ability, the power, to carry out that which they were called to do. That's what they were raised up to do. And so we see that this is the anointing of Jesus. The Scriptures will repeat this over and over, that Jesus had to be anointed in order to do His work. Luke chapter 4, this takes place right after the baptism in Luke's Gospel, Uh, Jesus goes into the synagogue, opens up the Isaiah scrolls, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What's he anointed me to do? To proclaim good good news, to uh, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering sight of the blind, etc. He's anointed me to do these things. The Spirit is upon me, and that has brought to me this anointing. Isaiah chapter 11, we see this once again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall, shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So Messiah here is being anointed to do his work as Messiah. So let's think about this because this is important for us to see. Why does the Son of God need to be anointed? Anybody know? Why does the Son of God need to be anointed? The Son of God does not need to be anointed. And in fact, the Son of God is not being anointed. Remember, Jesus has two natures. Jesus is fully human and Jesus is fully divine. The Son of God needs no anointing by the Spirit of God. The Son of God needs no power from the Spirit of God. Jesus, the human, is being anointed to do His work. So as we think about the ministry of Jesus, as we think about the miracles that Jesus will perform, as we think about the powerful preaching, the parables that he will tell, the life-changing words that he will speak, all of those will be spoken and given and performed not as the divine being, the second person of the Trinity, but as the sinless, perfect human who is anointed by God and lives in perfect faith and perfect trust, carrying out that which God has anointed him to do. It's really important that you see Jesus' work on earth, not as God going about doing these miracles. Yes, Jesus is fully God. 
But what Jesus does, he does as a human in the power of the Spirit. The the scriptures say this to us over and over and over, that Jesus did what he did in the power, not of himself, but in the power of the Spirit. Acts chapter 10, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And therefore he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You can look up the cross references there. John 1, 32, 33. Luke 4, verse 18. Other cross references as well. John 1, verse 32. John sees that the Spirit descends and rests upon him. So Jesus preaches every sermon. Jesus tells every parable. Jesus heals every sickness. Jesus casts out every demon. Jesus cleanses every leper. Jesus calms the storm all as the sinless human who is perfectly filled by the Spirit, perfectly trusting in the Spirit, and perfectly carrying out what the Spirit has anointed him to do. Jesus does everything that he does in the power of the same Spirit that's in us. Now, the Spirit has not anointed us to do what Jesus did. So we don't go about doing what Jesus did. But nevertheless, the same Spirit that anointed Jesus and empowered Jesus to do what he did is the very same Spirit that lives within us. So this is now the anointing of Jesus, the anointing him for doing this work. And notice how he's anointed not with fire and brimstone, but he's anointed with a dove with kindness, with gentleness, with meekness, with humility, because this is the Messiah that he will be. He will be the Messiah of compassion, the Messiah of gentleness, the Messiah of humility. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website, where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.